0: Back to infant nursery hour. You want someone to preach to you with your host, Glenn Ostler. You want religion, do you? It's sharing time. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled
1: with humor. Yeah, you can buy in this world. Like uh huh. It means that that your body is believing it's living in the same past experience 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, to the body it literally is in the past. So then to change then is to be greater than your body, to be greater than the conditioning of the body living in the past.
2: And to be greater than the fictions that we tell ourselves as we select certain things that we observe and ignore other things that we just leave out of the equation to be greater than the fictions that we create to focus on other actual truths to create healthier actual fictions
1: So if a person has been living in the same routine for years on end their body now is on autopilot and it's dragging them as the mind into the predictable future. And they've lost their free will to a program. So then, going from the old self to the new self is the neurological, the biological, the chemical, the hormonal, the genetic death of the old self. And in that place, that void, that place of uncertainty is actually the perfect place to create something new. The world is brown, it
0: turns
2: Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is part two of Rewired, Changing the Ex-Mormon Narrative, It's where I review Dr. Joe Dispenza's, uh, it's the second episode in his series that's called Rewired. If you haven't listened to part one, go listen to part one, because this is part two, and it's gonna
1: start right now. Now what do most people do once they reaffirm the thoughts and feelings, their state of being that keep them in the familiar past? They start to crave the predictable future. So, living in the familiar past is living connected to everything known in your life. So then what they do is they reach for their cell phone, they check their texts.
2: They listen to a podcast that reaffirms the way that they feel and think about the world.
1: They check their Facebook.
2: An ex-Mormon Reddit.
1: They post a picture on Instagram. They tweet. They check one email, they check the other email. Searching for the new outrage. The new reason to be angry about the Mormon church. They checked everything that's known and familiar in their life, and now they're connected to everything familiar in their known reality. And they run through a series of automatic unconscious behaviors in routine. Now, a habit is a redundant set of automatic unconscious thoughts, behaviors, and emotions that's acquired through frequent repetition. A habit is when you've done something so many times that your body now knows how to do it better than your conscious mind.
2: You know, when I was about 16 years old, well, I'll I'll back up. Earlier than that, I took piano lessons. I think many of you probably took some kind of music lessons. And when I was a kid, I just hated it. I, I, I liked music, but I didn't like the way that they were forcing me to focus on things I didn't want to focus on. So when I was about 12 years old, I stopped taking piano lessons. But then I had this friend of mine named Shane Layton. He was an awesome piano player. And uh, I, you know, envious, jealous, I don't know. I just admired what he was doing and I wanted to be able to do it. And I really loved the Beatles. And so I went and I bought myself a Beatles songbook. 16 years old and I sat down and I started teaching myself some songs and I worked at it and worked at it and I worked at it. My mom kept yelling at me to stop banging on the piano. <laughs> but you know, I play Lady Madonna and Hey Jude and a bunch of other songs. From maybe 16 to 18 years old. And then I stopped. But I can sit down at a piano today, and I can play Lady Madonna. I can't read music. You know, if I sit down and I consciously try to to think about what I'm doing, I lose it. But if I just go to that muscle memory that I trained by repetition over and over and over again in my youth, especially when, you know, I think, what what is it? Up until he says we're 35, that uh, our brains are a little bit more... Uh, receptive and malleable, neuroplasticity, we're able to learn things and develop habits easier. I still have that, and I'm still able to do that for a few songs. And I think that's the the same thing that happens being a member of the church all the time. If, If you are repeating the same things over and over again, like reading your scriptures every day, or saying prayers in the morning and in the evening, going to church on Sundays, going to your different activities—you know, all of the different things that we do. Praying at meals—it develops these these habits and patterns. And once we start getting away from that, that that familiarity, there's some discomfort. You know, I I, I think a lot of us have experienced the discomfort of doing some of these repetitive acts like saying a prayer when the belief in the heavenly father that you're praying to is in severe doubt or severe question like it's uncomfortable to do that like it was for me i felt like i was being some kind of a fraud or i was being dishonest somehow but it was also uncomfortable to not do that and i just think this is so interesting that dr dispenza is going to talk about up here that the when it's time to change an old habit, one of these old patterns, our body has this memory of doing things. And there's a comfort and a familiarity in that that repetition and that habit that's been built. And when we start to do something different, our body kind of responds to it and says, well, wait, this is going into unknown territory. We don't know what's on the other side of this new thing that you're doing. And it, it creates a lot of discomfort. In us and uh, can pull us back into old habits, and I don't know how accurate this is, and I really don't want to be one of those people who's like really, really critical of ex-Mormons. Um, it, it's it's more about being aware of these habits that we developed, the way that we trained ourselves, or were trained or conditioned uh, when we were believing and going through the church, and how easily we can follow those same habits. Like deferring to an authority figure or having this us versus them kind of thinking where people that believe like us are the good guys and people who believe against us are the enemies. You know, those are these regular neural patterns that we've developed and we just flip it. We just switch because there's such discomfort in getting away from the habits that we've developed. And so even though the object of it might be different, it's still this kind of us versus them mentality that so many of us can fall back into really easily. Um, So anyway, I I find that really interesting. It's, It's an interesting question, something to be aware of and to consider at least. So let's go back to what Dr. Dispenza is saying about these habits that we develop in our bodies.
1: So if a person has been living in the same routine for years on end, their body now is on autopilot and it's dragging them as the mind into the predictable future and they've lost their free will to a program. Now it's no longer that their personality is creating their personal reality. Now their personal reality is creating their personality. And we can say that their environment is controlling how they feel and how they think.
2: There's some really, really interesting ideas in here. This idea of free will in and of itself um, there have been we've done episodes in the past about free will. We've had some pretty intriguing panel discussions about it. I don't know that any of them really brought me any closer to understanding what free free will actually is. Uh, but you know, listening to Sam Harris talk about it, listening to other people. A couple of years ago, I was working with Michael Ferguson on a podcast called the the Luminous Brain. I don't think he's doing it anymore. But we had some really, really interesting conversations as we were working on that podcast. And, and this idea about free will came up. For those of you who don't know Michael Ferguson, he's a neuroscientist out of Harvard Medical School. And I asked him, what is the thing about free will? And he said, yeah, free free will is a little bit, and, and I, hope I, I, I hope I'm quoting him correctly here, but that free will is a bit deceptive because free would suggest that anything is possible. He preferred the term bound will that there are certain parameters certain limits you know that that are that mainly are determined by our biology our genetics as dr Dispens is suggesting here also our environment there's certain range within which we're able to make choices and have some degree of choice but it's bound and and the it's bound by these limits it's bound by these these parameters And the more we repeat certain actions, certain thoughts, the more hardened, the more rigid those parameters become. And so I think that's what is talking about here when he says it limits our free will. And it also creates this environment. And it's interesting to think about environment, not only in terms of, you know, normally what do you think of as an environment? You think of the, the outside world, but what about the inner world? what about the environment of your neural pathways what about the environment of all of these different bodily functions that are on automatic you know isn't it nice that we developed a habit of breathing that where we don't have to focus and concentrate on it isn't it nice that our heart beats without us having to focus on it isn't it nice that our our cells when when they when our cells die they're they're reproduced and replicated and they know exactly how to form themselves. The information is in the nucleus of each cell to be able to create any cell anywhere in our body for any organ, for any system that needs a replacement. And it just does that. We don't have to think about it. We don't, we don't have, it's on automatic. There's so much of what we're doing that is on automatic. And these also become the environment in which we exist and the environment that, co- that colors the way that we experience the world and the way that we create meaning, the way that we see ourselves, just really interesting ideas. Really interesting. So let's get back to Dr.
1: Dispenza. So then you say to a person, why are you so upset today? And they'll say to you, I am upset because of this person or this thing in my life. And what they're really saying is that person or that circumstance in their life is literally controlling their feelings and thoughts. And if that is the case by very definition, it means then that they are the victim to their life. And that is the unconscious program that they're living by.
2: And that unconscious program is, are you ready for it, Tom? It's a fiction. Now that doesn't mean that it's not true. That doesn't mean that this person that you're upset with didn't really do the thing or say the thing or whatever. that that doesn't really happen. But there's there's different ways that you could respond to anything that anybody does. And you make choices. There's like this range. It's, It's not unlike sitting down and creating a story, telling a story, writing a story. There are different choices that you can make, different areas that you can focus and and maybe it's not free will where anything goes maybe it's bound will where there's a, a certain limited range of choices that you could choose from but it's it's your response to what this person or organization or figure in history <laughs> has done you really do have a choice and isn't it isn't that obvious when you see Ex-Mormons get frustrated that their believing family members and friends are hearing the exact same story and they respond to it in a different way. And you go, oh, that's just apologetics. You're just doing apologetics. You're, you're seeing the same problems but I, that I see, but you're choosing to not respond to those problems in the same way that I'm doing. And then you've got that kind of us versus them vilification thing going on those are choices and then they become the, the more we repeat them they become these automatic habits that start to you know just become more the way that we are and we tell we tell ourselves these stories these fictions about being victims of other people and um, I, I, I really feel like when we do that we deny the ability that each one of us has to make those choices and to make changes. Now, that doesn't mean that it's really easy to just come in and change all of these automatic processes that have have been developing for years and years and years, especially once you're older than 35 years old and these things become more set and more rigid. It's more of a challenge, but it's, it's not impossible. And Dr. Spence is going to talk about how to do that, and kind of what you're up against when you're trying to fight against all of these um, automatic responses in the environment, not only the environment outside of us, but the environment inside of us, that we ourselves have at least some degree of responsibility for creating and making choices and recognizing that it's its a fiction, it's a fiction that we're living and that colors our entire life.
1: So then, in order for you to change, you're going to have to be greater than the conditions in your environment. And every great person in history knew this. They believed in a future that was already so alive in their mind that they began to live as if that future reality was happening in the present moment. And they share the same brain as you and I. So then to change then, being greater than your environment means then you have to be greater than the circumstances and conditions in your world. And if
2: you accept what I'm saying about the circumstances and conditions in the world being a constructed fiction that you yourself have played a role in constructing, then it means that you have to be greater than the fictions that have already been created. And what I think that means is that then you become a knowing, intentional author of new fictions. Fictions that, and I think this is where the word fiction can be really problematic, because when I'm talking about fiction, I'm not, I don't mean things that aren't true, things that aren't real. I mean an incomplete picture of the world, Uh, a, a picture of the world or a story of the world that is based on certain realities and certain truths but omits other ones so it's not totally a complete truth it's a fabrication it's a it's a fiction in that sense and so what what i think is important is to not fabricate things that aren't real and to go into fantasy as a way to build a new fiction but to find the the areas in your life that are that you're already doing ways that you already think that match up with how you want things to be in the future you're already doing it you focus on those and you start building that story around that it's it's like watering a seed and making it grow but it's this it's the seed of those things that are elements of the fiction that you want your life to be instead of elements of the fiction that has you stuck in automatic patterns that keep you feeling powerless
1: And as long as you're not creating anything new in your life, every person, everything that's already reflected in your brain also then is an experience that has an emotion connected to it. And we can say then, when you're thinking equal to your environment, you'll keep reaffirming and creating the same environment. And finally, to change is to be greater than time. And if a person's living in the familiar past, that is called the known. If they're living in the predictable future, that is called the known. And to change then is to get beyond the programs of the future and the conditioning of the past and settle into the sweet spot of the generous present moment.
2: What, what does he mean there when he says that there's a known future? You know, I, it, it kind of surprised me as I was listening to this because I thought that he would say the past is known and then the future is unknown. But what he's saying is if it's a future that's based on these predictable patterns of behavior, these routines, these habits, then it's a fairly predictable future. It might not be known in the sense of it's already happened. And so, you know, but it's, it's strongly predictable. And so really what he's saying is if you break out of the habits and you start creating something new, that's this what he calls the sweet spot of the present moment. But it also means that you're taking a leap of faith, and bodies don't like our bodies don't like these leaps of faith. It's hard. Maybe that's why the natural man is an enemy to God, because the natural man, uh, in this sense, just wants to keep with its routine, even even if the routine has been leading us into depression and just a general malaise and dissatisfaction with life, that's better than, you know, stepping into the unknown and hitting a bus, right? At, at least at least accept the drudgery that we already have and the relative safety that we have in it, then really try to stretch or, or grow, because uh, that's scary. Um, that's what he's gonna be talking about here next.
1: That means then you're going to have to be greater than that line of time. And there is a skill and a formula That teach people how to be greater than their bodies, to be greater than the conditions in their environment, and to be greater than time.
2: What do you think that formula is? Is it uh, paying your tithing, (laughs) reading your scriptures, praying, going to church every Sunday? I mean, we're used to formulas. We grew up with formulas. Maybe it's going to be simpler than that and a little less costly. let's, Let's find out.
1: So in order for you to change, you're going to have to cross a river. And the hardest part about change is not making the same choice as you did the day before.
2: Easier said than done, right? Because what was it, 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day and 90% of those are the same as what we had the day before? So what does that mean if we've conditioned ourselves to be 90% basically the same and respond basically the same as we have done day in and day out. That that's a, that's a big biological automatic tidal wave that we're trying to run up to and just change and turn around and have it go another direction. What's the simple formula that, <laughs> that allows us to do that?
1: So here's the old self and here's the new self. And the moment you decide to make a different choice or to do something differently, you just stepped into that river of change and get ready because it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel unfamiliar. There's going to be some uncertainty. There's gonna be some unknowns. And most importantly, you're not gonna be able to predict the next moment.
2: You know, when when I look back on the last seven years, I mean, especially maybe the first three, four, five years of *Infants on Thrones*, and and the comments that we had, and you can go onto iTunes and you can read the reviews that people have left over the years. There, there, there's a common theme. I'd also hear back from surveys and emails, and sometimes some personal interactions with listeners. But the, but there's this common theme of people learning something that they hadn't known before and basically stepping into this river of change. And a lot of times, Infants on Thrones wasn't the entry point. Uh, the entry point was usually someplace where the waters were a little less swift and choppy and swirling. <laughs> you know, In- Infants on Thrones could, could be uh, pretty uh, rowdy and irreverent and crude <laughs> for a lot of people. But uh, you know, here, here they are in this river of change and they look around and it feels uncomfortable, but they go, oh, I'm not alone in here. There's other people here. And one of the real values that this podcast has had for people over the years and many others, it's not just Infants on Thrones, of course, but this whole phenomenon of ex-Mormon podcasting is that people come out of living a certain way for so long seeing the world in certain ways, and then that starts to change. And some people, when they, when they change, they go forward with it. They're, they're driven to go forward with it. Others, they pull back. And, and maybe people do both. Maybe, I'm sure I did both at different times. But That's one of the things that I really uh, am proud of. That that we've done with infants on thrones and and all of the other podcasters out there in the ex Mormon world is providing a place for those people who are in this river of change and not knowing which way, like what does it mean? Where are we going to go? Where where do I where do I find anything that's true or anything that's reliable any, anymore? My entire world is turned upside down. It's it it is such a good illustration of what Dr. Dispens is talking about here of that discomfort when we move away from predictability, from past habits, and we're in a completely new environment. So what do we do? What do we do now that we're in this river together?
3: Where do we go? The decision to walk no more with the church members and the Lord's chosen leaders will have a long-term impact that cannot always be seen right now. If you choose to become inactive or to leave the restored church of Jesus Christ, of Latter Day Saints, where will you go? What will you do? Where will you go? Where will you go? What will you, what will you what do? What will you do? At first, I was afraid. I was petrified. Kept thinking, where oh where oh where would I go if you weren't there to guide? And so I spent so many nights just praying fervently on my knees. And I said, please, won't someone please just answer me? I pray to God, in outer space, up there near Kolob, with that white beard upon his face. (laughs) What do we do? Where will you go?
2: What will you do?
1: (laughs) Now think about this. We just said that in order for you to change, you have to be greater than your body. And the redundancy of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking conditions the body into the past. So the body has been trained to cling to what it knows. And now you're taking it out into the unknown. And the body says, I don't like this. I can't predict the future. And the body starts influencing our thoughts. And all of a sudden, we start to have these sub-vocalizations, this chatter in our head, these voices that tell us, start tomorrow, you'll never change. You're too much like your mother. It's your ex's fault. It's your boss's fault. This doesn't feel right. And most people listen to that thought as if it's true. Have you done that? I have
2: yeah it's it's my leader's fault because of the way that I was t- it's my parents' fault because they don't understand me It's Joseph Smith's fault it's Packer's fault you know <laughs> i can't i I can't change it's impossible I don't have any free will or or here's here's one that I used to hear a lot um sure yeah i could I could be forgiving and I could be understanding of my believing family, friends, and members, but they're not gonna be like that to me, so why bother? You know, There's so many of these kind of stories that start to crop up when we're in this uncomfortable, unfamiliar river of change and we're not quite sure where we're gonna go, what we're gonna do.
1: And one of my greatest moments in my life is when I realized just because I have a thought doesn't necessarily mean it's true. So a person may say, I want to change something about myself today no more blaming no more complaining no more suffering no more self-pity are any of you thinking right now
2: wow this sounds like gaslighting. That this sounds dangerous this this sounds like victim blaming there are real victims out there we shouldn't just dismiss the victims what about the people that really have been hurt and harmed we're telling them just to buck up and and not wallow in their pity? That's lame. Maybe maybe we could add that to the list of thoughts that we think that maybe aren't completely true or helpful. Maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe it's completely true, but it isn't all that's true. Maybe there are other parts that could help to lift us out of those areas where we've been harmed and wronged and damaged and that there really is that. But if all we're telling are these victim stories, then we don't make any room for the other truth. We don't make any room for the other parts of the things that actually are there, like the power that we have to make those changes. I hope, and I'm, not, I, I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying this, but this is what I understand Dr. is talking about here, and and the toll, the cost, that having those repetitive loops of victimhood can have on our lives. It's at least worth looking at.
1: It's at least worth asking that question. Today, no more blaming, no more complaining, no more suffering, no more self-pity. And now they're disrupting that chemical continuity. And all of a sudden, two hours goes by. And after that two hours, the body starts craving the conditioning of those familiar chemicals. And it's the body then that's influencing the mind for the body to return back to the same state of being.
2: Isn't that fascinating that the window of time is as short as two hours? You know, I, I don't know if any of you have ever gone on, um, you know, like low-carb, low-sugar diets. I have. You know, times where I've cut sugar out of my diet completely. Times where I've cut out caffeine completely. And I get headaches. And my body just goes, I want those chemicals. That's that's what's going on here. It's not sugar or uh, uh, caffeine. But it's those chemicals that our bodies create that we experience as emotions and as feelings. And that we become dependent on and addicted to. It's part of what makes that automatic process so strong. A couple of years ago, I got the audiobook uh, that Russell Brand wrote about, uh, I think, the 12 Steps of Addiction. I saw him on, on Bill Maher talking about this book, and I'd, I'd always thought that Russell Brand was just a clown, and I didn't pay any attention to what he was saying, but I listened to him on, on Bill Maher, and I just thought he was so articulate. And just really cutting to the chase, he really understood addiction, and so I got his audio book and I listened to it, and I realized that there's addictions that go beyond drugs and alcohol and sex and you know just these these patterns and habits of unhealthy relationships, even an unhealthy relationship with our own thoughts. And uh, yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating here to to recognize. Why it's so hard for people to make changes. Why it, why it's so uncomfortable for people to make changes. Why there's so much resistance to making changes. It's not easy, but that doesn't mean that it's impossible, and it certainly doesn't mean that it's worth it. I mean, didn't, didn't, isn't that like something that was always falsely accredited to Jesus? I never said it would be easy. I only said it would be worth it. Well, maybe.
1: Maybe. So then, going from the old self to the new self is the neurological, the biological, the chemical, the hormonal, the genetic death of the old self. And in that place, that void, that place of uncertainty is actually the perfect place to create something new. And people may say, I'm crossing that river of change. I can't predict my future. And the answer is, the best way to predict your future is to create it. What thoughts do you want to fire and wire in your brain and put your attention behind? What behaviors do you want to demonstrate in one day, in one lifetime?
2: Ooh, creation creating a future that hasn't actually happened yet. That sounds like creating fictions. That sounds like being the author of an intentional fiction. That sounds like the magical thinking of thoughts creating reality. Is, is there actually some kind of biological basis for thoughts having an impact on the creation of reality? I mean, could that be something more than just woo-woo magical thinking? I don't know. I, I want to hear it. Let, let's hear it. What, what, what's your explanation here?
1: The latest research in neuroscience says that when you close your eyes and rehearse an activity mentally, that your brain does not know the difference between what's going on out there and what's going on in here, if you're truly present, you begin to install the neurological hardware in your brain to look like you already did it. Now your brain is no longer a record of the past. Now it's literally a map to the future. You are priming your brain into the future. And if you keep doing it over and over again, firing and wiring, that hardware will become a software program. And who knows, you just may start acting like an abundant person. You may start thinking that you're healthy. Why? Because you installed those circuits.
2: You know, I I have a really active mind. I'm sure that you do too. And t- tell me if this sounds familiar if you do this. I don't know. I ever since I was a little kid like I would get really upset and frustrated at something that for example my dad would do. Like my my dad would do something that I thought was unfair, uh, punish me for something or, you know, say something or do something and i just you know i I was powerless to respond to it i was just a little kid but in my mind i would argue with him and i would create these loops of response and i would i would replay things that he had said to me and i would imagine different ways that i would respond to defend myself and sometimes it was out of aggression um, you know <laughs> Some, sometimes it was it was really fighting back. It was arguing, it was debating, it was anticipating, okay, if I say this, what's he gonna say? And then how do I one up that in response? And um, I, I used to have those kinds of imaginary loops in my head with my dad all the time. Now it wasn't just my dad. as I, as I got older and I experienced more kind of opposition from people around me, I would have those kinds of imaginary, Conversations or interactions with them. I've had it with people that I work with. I've had it with my children. I've had it with people that I, I love and I'm in relationship with. I just imagine, okay, how can I get the upper hand here? I, and a lot of times in those situations, I start off where I feel like I'm the one that's the victim and then I'm trying to get the upper hand, but it's very confrontational. And I, I look around me, especially at the relationship that I have with my dad and recognizing how... Confrontational, that's always been. And so I have to, I, I listen to things like this and wonder is that because I was closing my eyes? I was imagining a conversation. I was imagining the scenario. I was creating this fictional encounter, this fictional experience. And then when things would rise up in our actual interactions with each other, I would go into these automatic programs. You know, it's like I, I wired. This software system that's program of my mind. And is is that responsible for having an estranged relationship with my dad? You know, I've I've recently really been trying to break out of those patterns and to just spend time with him and and not get into arguments you know, like any of those kinds of things in the past. And it and it it's changing the way that I see him, it's changing the way that I see myself. And it doesn't change any of the differences that we might have about how he views the Mormon Church and how I view the Mormon Church. But as far as healing our relationship with each other, I'm encouraged. I, I feel like th- this, is, this is gonna get better than it has been in the past. And so I'm, I'm, I'm taking these things that I'm learning from Dr. Dispenza and others and, and really going, okay, the, the, the power of the imagination, the power of thought, to really create these programs. And I love how he said it. It's a map to the future of how you want it to be. Now, I, you know, I, I I hear stories like Jim Carrey. It's a pretty well-known one. Um, you may have heard it, that he gave himself a deadline of when he was going to make it in Hollywood. And I think he actually wrote out a check for $10 million or something like that, and he pinned it on his wall. You know, it. Jim Carrey's a big believer in... Manifesting your reality and the power that thoughts have. And, you know, there's things in the the Abraham Hicks stuff that I've been listening to and sharing a little bit with on the podcast, things that are in the book, The Secret, where this idea of thoughts creating reality, I think, goes too far. It goes farther than I'm comfortable taking it, Um, you know, that if you imagine that uh, someone's going to put a million dollars in your mailbox and you just think about it long enough and hard enough that eventually you'll walk outside and you'll find a million dollars in your mailbox i think that's an example that randy gave in an episode many years ago when we were talking about this kind of stuff that's that's different than what dispense is talking about here that that's a different thing than having your thoughts create a map to your future behavior how you will respond in certain situations and i think the this idea of confirmation bias is so important here. Because when we're when we're imagining a different type of future, we're creating different kind of expectations. And confirmation bias says that once you make your mind up that something is a certain way, then you're going to find confirmation for that bias everywhere. And any evidence that comes in to contradict what you've already decided, you ignore it. And it, it's really easy as ex-mormons to see that in the context of believers and go oh you you still believe in the Book of Mormon, but look at all of these things that prove that it's not true and oh, you're just suffering from confirmation bias, okay but as if we don't do the same things, I think we all do. We're all stuck in our own confirmation bias and so being able to recognize what that is, where that is, and then start directing it towards the kind of life that we want to live, the kind of choices that we want to make when we're interacting with people around us who we love. I don't think that's magical thinking. I think that's really, really powerful, strong stuff. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still testing it out in my own life. And, and making podcasts like this and sharing this kind of stuff with with you as a listener is part of my experiment. It's part of that test. And it's creating in me this, this accountability. It's also helping me rewire my own brain as I'm doing this. And I'm listening to these things and re-listening to them and then talking about it and sharing it with you. So anyway, we're about to wrap up here, this, this episode, this part two of Rewired, Changing the Ex-Mormon Narrative. And it's for me, <laughs> changing my own ex-Mormon narrative. Uh, anyway, let's, let's finish up and see what Dr. Dispenza has to wrap it up because we're going towards meditation. He's pointing us towards meditation, if you haven't figured that out already, the power of meditation, which is quite powerful, by the way.
1: Now, here's the hard part. Can you teach your body emotionally what that future will feel like before it's made manifest? That means you can't wait for your wealth to feel worthiness and abundance. You can't wait for your success to feel empowered. You can't wait for your new relationship to feel love. You can't wait for your healing to feel gratitude or wholeness. You can't wait for the mystical moment to feel awe. That's the old model of reality, of cause and effect. Waiting for something outside of us to give us relief from the emptiness and pain we feel inside of us. And some people will spend their whole life living in lack, waiting for something to change. And if you're waiting, then you're not creating.
2: I don't completely agree with that. I don't think that there's really anything that we do in our life that isn't creating something. I think really what he means is if you're waiting for someone else to create it for you, then what you're creating is just this old, old, repeated, repeated pattern of habits. Things are going to keep being the same that they have been before unless you actually change it in those ways and you create that change. That's what I think he means there. But, you know, one other part of this that I want to be really sensitive to, because especially some of these old habits, as I've been paying attention to my own cognitive distortions, you know, I I talk about Dr. David Burns in the book Feeling Good quite a bit. These cognitive distortions, I, I recognize that I have a tendency to be really, really hard on myself. And so, when I hear messages about, um, oh, if you're only waiting, you're not creating, and you're responsible for the reality, then I'm like, oh man, why did I wait so long? Why did I do this? Why did I? And, and then I go right back into some of those old cognitive distortions where I'm discounting the positive, and I'm I'm just focusing on the negative, and I'm catastrophizing, and I'm really beating myself up, and I go back into those loops of, of victimhood. I think it's, it's something that is really important to be aware of. It it has been for me uh, when I get stuck into that, not being so hard on myself, recognizing, oh, this is going on again. I'm I'm going back into those old habits and loops where I don't want to go. Okay. I see that happening. How can I focus on something different? How can I use my imagination to create a different, program on how I'm going to respond to things like this in the future (laughs) you know it's a uh, vicious circle it's a vicious circle
0: no clean clothes there never will be you know unless you actually clean your clothes right vicious
1: circle the quantum model of reality is about causing an effect the moment you start feeling abundant and worthy you are generating wealth the moment you start embracing the feeling of empowerment you are stepping towards your success. The moment you're in love with yourself and in love with life, you will create an equal. And the moment you start feeling grateful and you start feeling whole, your healing begins. And the moment you are in awe of life, you will have a mystical experience.
2: You know, of all of the potentially woo-woo things that were just said right there, the thing that has been really, really helpful for me is the part about gratitude. Because it's a challenge to find something to be grateful for in things that are are a real challenge and uh, really annoying and really harmful and hurtful. But it's not impossible. And for me, that's the way out of the pit, the pit of despair that uh, I create for myself when I'm feeling down i think about the things that are really really actually around me to be grateful for you know if i if i'm just making stuff up it doesn't work i have to really genuinely see it and feel it but that's that's the way that's worked for me you know win upon life's billows and all that
1: Now that's causing an effect. And so from going from one state of mind and body, the old self, into a new state of mind and body, a new self, and crossing that river means there'll be new opportunities, new experiences, new events in your life, because you're no longer the old self. So the biological model of change then is breaking the habit of the old self and reinventing the new self. It's pruning synaptic connections and sprouting new connections. No longer signaling the same genes in the same way and learning how to signal new genes in new ways. Now, what I want you to know is that you already know how to do this. Every one of us has done something great in our lives. And what happened when we decided to make up our mind to create something or to do something differently? We ask ourselves the question, is it possible that I can be healthy? Is it possible that I can have the job of my dreams or the relationship of my dreams? And what would that look like? When you ask that question, you turned on the creative center in your brain called your frontal lobe. And think of your frontal lobe as the symphony leader. And it has connections to all parts of the brain. So what it does is it naturally calls up different networks of neurons that are associated with that question based on the things you've learned intellectually in your life and the experiences that you've had as well. And it begins to seamlessly piece them together. The next thing you see is an image or a picture in your mind, and that's called intention. And now you are selecting a new possibility of your future. Have you ever
2: been fascinated by this idea of uh, multiple probable futures or simultaneous, like multiple dimensions. You know, kind of like that uh, Spider-Man movie, Into the Multiverse. I loved that movie, where there's different versions of the same place that are being played out in reality in different dimensions. You know, it's, it's an interesting fictional idea. And I think there is something something real to it in the sense of the thoughts that we think. Because our thoughts are actually real things. I mean I, I think typically we tend to think, oh thoughts aren't real. But but there there is something real. There it's 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 a biochemical response. It's it's what is it, electromagnetism? I don't know what it's a little spark of electricity that's in our brain. There's these thoughts, these synaptic firings. They're real enough that they can create other biochemical responses in our bodies. they're They're real in that sense. no, it, it's it's not real in the sense that um, we can experience what it would be like to be one of those thoughts. You know, like what we experience is through our our sight, our five senses, our smell, our sound, you know, We, we don't really have a concept of what it would be like for a single cell in our body. To have some kind of degree of consciousness or awareness or intelligence, but they obviously do because they're communicating with each other. They're allowing certain things in and repelling other things. They're, you know, it, it's an automatic response that's learned over time, a lot like what Dispenza is talking about. Our brain here, so it doesn't seem like such a stretch to me to think that there could be a kind of experience, a kind of reality of our thoughts, where there are different probabilities. That, that we can explore with our thoughts and then kind of choose which of those thoughts we really want to pour our attention into, into action and create into this real world. I don't know, does that sound weird? Does that sound wooey? It, it doesn't seem wooey to me. It's, it seems like there really is this power that we have in our mind. Of course, there's the 95% of our bodily systems that are on automatic and maybe five percent of our awareness that we have to be able to focus on these other potential probabilities or things and then make a choice and see if that's going to impact the 95 percent anyway it's a it's one of these weird little thoughts that i have from time to time so i thought i'd share and see if it seems interesting to you maybe maybe not but i like this idea i always like the choose your own adventure books as a kid you know where you you, you get to the end of one page and it says, do you do A, B, C, or D? And then you you choose which one of those you do and then turn to page this, turn to page that. I think to some degree we kind of do that. And that's maybe part of this bound will. Like there's a certain set of choices that we can make, a certain set of possibilities that we could explore. And so there is some kind of power in like thinking of it that way and going, all right, I'm going to choose this one. I'm going to intentionally do it. I don't know. Just some random thoughts for you folks, just some random thoughts.
1: When you saw that image, you saw that picture in your mind, the next thing you know, you started to feel the emotion as if you were living in that future reality in the present moment. And we could say then, the moment you started feeling the emotion, the thought became the experience in your mind. And you were giving your body a sampling or a taste of the future.
2: Like any successful drug dealer, right? First taste is free. You get your body addicted to these, these things. Is
1: that possible? I don't know. So I didn't even talk about drug dealers. No, I'm sorry. Now here's what you did when that happened. You started thinking about all the choices you had to make and you wrote them down. You started to think about all those experiences that would get you to that vision, all those goals. And every time you wrote those goals down, you felt more of those feelings. And you kept reviewing them in your mind so you can put your conscious mind on what you wanted. And then you did something really brilliantly. You started to write down the thoughts that you wouldn't let slip by your awareness unnoticed. Thoughts like, I can't, it's too hard, I'll never change. Those are thoughts that if you respond to them will cause you to lose sight of your future. And every day you reminded yourself of who you wanted to be, and every day you reminded yourself of who you no longer wanted to be. And then you started seeing synchronicities, opportunities, Coincidences beginning to show up in your life.
2: Yeah, you know, I want to say something about these synchronicities and coincidences because this is another area where, like, my magical thinking, uh, like red flag sirens start going off with this sort of thing. But, I, but I, I had an experience when I first, the, the very first day I took a folklore class at BYU. I remember Professor Wilson was talking to us about folk architecture and how there's traditional influences in the de- 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 in the designs of our houses and our buildings. And he talked about this one called a salt box house. And he explained to us why there was this design because before there was electricity or refrigeration there was a new technology of being to bring in ice as a way to refrigerate your your meats or your perishables and so they would cut out this structure uh, in the kitchen and that was your ice box and It was packed with ice and salt and and that sort of thing to keep things cool. And then as technology changed and you've got uh, electricity and you can plug in a refrigerator, you didn't need to have that cut-out section of the house anymore. But it had become such a staple, such a feature, that people liked the look of it. And so they continued to build salt box houses, even though they didn't have that function anymore. The the function had changed. Now it was just aesthetically pleasing. But uh, he said, pay attention as you look around Provo today because you'll find, you'll see these saltbox houses everywhere and I did as I, as I walked from that class back to the apartment I was living I probably saw 10 or 15 saltbox houses that I had walked by you know day after day forever well for 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 a year for 2 years never noticing at all but my awareness was raised at what these things were I started looking for them and I started seeing them now they didn't pop up out of thin air they were always there i just wasn't looking for them and to me that's what these synchronicities are that he's talking about that's what these coincidences are it's not that there's things that are magically occurring that are poof popping up out of nowhere it's now i have i have introduced something into my awareness to look for and now i'm seeing it it's part of the confirmation bias that i was talking about earlier And that's where I think there's real power in the way that we pay attention to our thoughts, that the power of mindfulness that often gets dismissed as magical thinking because there's times where it gets taken to that extreme as magical thinking. But it's another all-or-nothing cognitive distortion, black-and-white thinking, to, to think, well, because sometimes it's taken to the extreme of magical thinking that always when you're talking about the power of thoughts shaping reality that it's magical thinking. So anyway, saltbox houses. They're awesome, man. Look them up. And, and and I think I think he called that reticular activity. Now that's how I seem to remember it. But I've I've used that word before with people and they've looked at me like, what? Reticular activity? I've never heard that before. So I don't know. Reticular activity, saltbox houses. You look it up.
1: And that's the universe telling you that you're heading towards a new future.
2: Or <laughs> it is you recognizing that the life that you want to live, that there's already things out there that that agree with it. What are the universe telling you? I mean, uh, I, I guess. I guess, but the universe is what? The, the universe is the same thing as you. It's made out of the same stuff. You're a part of the universe. We're all an extension of the universe. We're fruit that was grown out of the tree of the universe. So anything that we do for each other or to each other is the universe doing it for and to it. You know, I just don't want to substitute this something supernatural in here. But, you know, let's let's keep it grounded. Let's keep it grounded. It's like like that, Is that funny? Or some of you are like, oh yeah, Glenn, yeah, you're the one that needs to tell us to keep things grounded. <laughs> yeah, okay. Hey, watch your thoughts, man. Watch your thoughts.
1: And when it finally happened, it was no longer about the event. It was about the fact that you created it. And so then the side effect of that as we become more whole, more present, more loving because now we're living life less in lack. There's only three things that stop us from that vision of the future.
2: 3, huh? <laughs> All right, here, the three pattern sirens are going off in my head again. All right, whatever. I'll 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 listen. What are what are these? <laughs> the complete package of three things that stop us.
1: The body the environment and time.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, look, if you look at the body as being part of the environment and also time being part of the environment as a time space construct, I mean, come on, but three,
1: fine, fine, fine. Have your three, have your three. <laughs> Number one, the body. Most people say, I didn't feel like it or I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I have a headache and they use feelings as a barometer for change. And when you use feelings as a barometer for change, you'll always talk yourself out of possibility.
2: You know, I I, um, I, can tell you there have been many, many, many times when I just, like I feel like I need to create a podcast because I've set these expectations with my listeners. And if I don't meet those expectations, I'm going to be disappointing people. But I don't really feel like it right now. Uh, I just, uh, I don't, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, whatever, I don't want to do it. And... I do it anyway and usually when I do it anyway it's because there's there is something that I genuinely want to talk about but in the in the process of doing it I start feeling better like I, I, I really enjoy creating these podcasts and, and you know especially on topics like these that I find really interesting and so if, if I just let my body and my feelings be what determine I'm gonna do all the time you wouldn't have as many episodes of Infants on Thrones to listen to, and I wouldn't have the experience and the joy of creating them as often as I had. So uh, I think this is one of those examples of you you create the experience that you want just by doing it. Because I know I'm going to feel better. I know I'm going to like it. I know I'm going to have joy in doing it. And uh, so doing it. So I
1: don't know, I think that's an example of the body. Body. The environment. I have these people to see, I have these places to go, I have these things to do. Their environment seduce them back into their present reality. The last one is time. There just wasn't enough time. And people shrink back into mediocrity.
2: Well, I, I think they shrink back into mediocrity. mediocrity, maybe it could be mediocrity. Mediocrity is an environment kind of like democracy, an environment where people are feeling mediocre, where mediocrity is the feeling of being mediocre, but, you know, like splitting hairs here, just kind of like how each one of those three arbitrary categories are all kind of basically the same thing. It's all kind of the environment of your body, because all the the recognition of time, feeling like you don't have enough time, these are all just stories that we're telling ourselves as to why we can't make changes, so, you know, arbitrary threeness, arbitrary threeness. But that's just the way the message is being packaged. It doesn't mean that it isn't true or valid. So pedantic time for me.
1: It's fun. And they find people that do the same. And then they use each other to reaffirm their addiction or their conditioning into victimization. So then when you're at that lowest level in your life where they don't want to keep their social engagements, they could actually see themselves through the eyes of someone else. And in neuroscience, That's called metacognition. And now they're beginning to observe their thoughts. They're beginning to notice their behaviors. They're looking at the feelings that they were living by and saying, I didn't even know I was suffering. It just feels like how I always lived. And the act of observing those states of mind and body means they're no longer the program. Now they're the consciousness observing the program. And that's the first step to change.
2: And that pretty much wraps up episode two of Dr. Joe Dispenza's series on uh, Rewired and I would encourage you to go find it and watch it because the 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 graphics that they have in this thing are absolutely gorgeous it's beautiful I mean mostly he's, he's just standing there lecturing but then it'll cut away to visuals to illustrate what he's talking about it's really powerful I really like this series it's really good and I hope that this has been helpful to you. I hope it's been interesting to you. I hope that what it will do is help you reflect on yourself and where you are in your life and the stories that you tell, because that's that's what it's doing for me. And it helps me to be able to create these, to share with you. And I like to think that what I'm doing is being helpful. I really hope that I'm not creating a space in with infants on thrones that perpetuates the cycles, these patterns of victimhood. I, I don't want that to be what my efforts are doing for myself, and I don't want that to be what it's, it's how it's impacting other people either. And um, if you're interested in learning more about this, if you're interested in, in having a conversation with me about this, or if you're interested in finding out what I'm doing as a life coach, I've started working with some people now who are interested in in changing their own narratives in their lives. And it's really, really fun to do. It's really, uh, I I like doing it one-on-one. So if you're interested in that, you can contact me. uh, Go to our website. There's contact information there. Infants on Thrones uh, at gmail.com is the email address. But I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think about this message um, and how you would like to see future messages like this on the podcast and what you would like to see for your own life. So thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. I will be back soon
3: with more. The decision to walk no more with the church members and the Lord's chosen leaders will have a long-term impact that cannot always be seen right now. If you choose to become inactive or to leave the restored church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where will you go? What will you do?
0: At first I was afraid, I was petrified Kept thinking where oh, where would I go without you for my guide And I spent so many nights just praying, praying fervently, fervently on, on my on knees On my froggy knees and I said please won't someone up there answer me, I prayed to God I prayed to God in outer space of the collab with that, that white beard upon his face. face. I should have seen it was a sham that you had no power or keys, that your revelations were never, never revelatory. revelatory. So I had to go walk out, walk out the, the, door, the door from my personal, personal inactivity. You got nothing to teach me anymore. Weren't you the one who taught me how to live like Christ? Do you think I'm stupid? You think that I'm, do I'm you stupid? stupid? When you don't take your own advice, or oh no, not I! I, I will survive. survive. Yeah, as long as I know how to love, I know I'll be alive. I've got all my life to live. I've, I've got, got all my life love to give. I, I, will will survive. Survive. Will I will survive. What will you do? I will survive. Yeah.
1: Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Elder E. Eldon Elderman of the Seventh Quorum of the Seventy. When I'm not interviewing children about their masturbation practices, I monitor the Infants on Thrones podcast for the Strengthening the Members Committee. If you really like what you hear, you can jeopardize your eternal salvation by giving the Quorum a five star rating and writing a short review on iTunes. I didn't, but that's because I want to be resurrected with my genitalia intact. Anyone for the closing prayer?
3: Finally, some have become weary and well-doing. For these another other reasons, some members, It took
0: all the strength I had to keep I my feet afloat.
3: But when you defecated all over
0: the deck, I had to hop out of the boat. So I spent oh so many Sundays reading Exmo Reddit in the pews, and I used to cry. I, I used to, to cry. cry. Now I hold my middle flipper high, and you'll see me. As somebody knew I'm not that stupid, stupid, stupid little person. person Living my life to please you And so you thought you'd stand up there And poison my loved one's will toward me But now, now I'm saying, saying well what I'm, I'm saying, saying cause, Cause the truth will set you, send you free, free So I'll just, I'll just go. go walk out the door won't turn around now I can't respect you anymore Weren't you the ones who made me think you talked talk to, to God Do you think God I'm stupid? stupid? That I can't figure out a fraud Oh no, not I I will survive. As long as I know how to love I know all I'll be alive, alive. Without I've got all my life my to live give. I've got all my love to give and I, will I will survive, survive. I, will. I, will. I will survive Hell oh, yeah Hell oh, yeah, yeah. So have to Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones